Hey, what's up, friends? Welcome to Kiss My Curvy Assets, the podcast where we drop truth bombs, hit tough conversations, bring some sassy, raw, real topics, and some badass fun. I'm your host, Lori Mort. Let's journey together on this roller coaster ride set to empower us, enlighten us, invigorate us, energize us, and just help us keep rocking our bodies and rocking our lives. Hey friends, welcome to the program. Today we have Kylie Etz on and Kylie is mama of two, a digital course creator, natural wellness guru, and founder of Kylie Etz Family Wellness. She's on a mission to reduce the overwhelm of motherhood one mama at a time. She helps moms feel confident in their baby's development, sleep without sleep training, and reflex. She brings her 12 plus years of training and experience as a pediatric occupational therapist and her advanced certifications in sleep and reflux into her work with her clients. She also has a passion for toxin-free living and using natural alternatives to health and enjoys empowering families to support their own wellness. All right, friends, we're here with Kylie. Kylie, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm so excited to have you here. And I wish that I met you 18, almost 19 years ago. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And I say that because we're going to talk about the baby stage. We're going to talk about that zero to two years old stage. And that was the biggest nightmare for me. And probably when I felt like the biggest failure as a person, as a parent, as a mom, because you're just trying to navigate and you have no idea what the heck you're doing. You get home from the hospital and I remember looking at the little car seat with the baby in it thinking, I can't believe they let me leave with this thing. Like, totally. <laughs> let's cross our fingers and hope for the best. Like, just and keep it them is, alive. Keep them alive. Keep them alive. And I did just say to my, my daughter just turned 18 or just turned 18. She's turning 19. And I said, I, you made it to adulthood. One down, one to go. Like it's a crapshoot. You don't know if you're going to make it or not. I'm done. My work here is done. You made it. Let's talk about how you got into this industry, why you got into this industry. And I did read your bio, but a little bit more about what you do first. Sure. Yeah. So I got into this industry working specifically with moms and babies in the zero to two kind of age range after having my own baby. Um, And I have two kids now, but when I had my first child about five and a half years ago, at the time, I actually had, at the time, I guess it was like eight years of experience working as a pediatric occupational therapist. So I had lots of experience working with kids, working with babies. I have literally wanted to have babies since I was like five. And so, you know, I've done all of the like babysitting and camp counseling and all of the things. Like I always knew I was going to work with children. When I had my own baby, (laughs) I thought I knew how to have babies and what to do with babies and how to take care of babies and how to help them develop and grow and, you know, do all of that. And to a certain extent, I did have some skills and I was singing and I knew about development. But on the other end of the coin, I was also exhausted and overwhelmed. And I was comparing myself and my baby to all the other moms in the baby classes And I was like losing my mind, to be quite honest. And I was thinking to myself, well, okay, after the mom fog kind of lifted a little bit, you know, around the like six, seven, eight month mark. But I started thinking to myself that like, if I was feeling so overwhelmed and confused and exhausted and just totally like not knowing what end was what, and I had all of this training and experience like from years how in the world do new moms who've never had any experience with babies or kids, how are they even dealing with this? How are they coping with it? And so, I mean, I was just, I was downloading all of the schedules and I had all sorts of things posted on the wall and I read all the books and I was so confused. And I just felt like it was my mission to swim through and wade through all of that overwhelm and to really help to reduce that overwhelm and in terms of so many different areas so baby development is like kind of my thing but then because my child did not sleep for more than two to three hours until he was eight and a half months old when I actually finally reached out for help because I was like dying I couldn't function I hated the nights I would go to bed late because I was like if I just if I just prolong the day I won't have to deal with the night Um, and then in the middle of the night of course he was waking up still you know two to three hours 
I would literally get out of bed hating him. And it was awful. And I was like, this is not right. Something's got to give. But I didn't want to sleep train. And so I got help from somebody who really con I connected with. She listened to my values. And she was like, no, I don't do sleep training. I will show you how to get more sleep in a way that feels good for you, in a way that's focused on the attachment, in a way that allows you to respond to your baby however you want. She's like, I will never tell you to not nurse to sleep. <laughs> we don't do the drowsy and awake. <laughs> you know, all of these things that you hear, you're not going to leave your baby to cry in the crib until they just eventually figure it out. And I was like, oh my God, my angel, my angel has appeared. This is amazing. Okay, let's do it. So I hired her and like, no, it wasn't cheap, but it was 100% worth the investment. I would have paid like three times the price that we paid. My baby was sleeping six to eight hours after two weeks and I felt like a new person. And since that time, I was like, oh my God, sleep. Oh, I, I need to know more about this. So I ended up, I actually, it was two years that I was back and forth with this um, sleep sort of support consultant that we hired and her and I kind of became like internet friends I guess we never actually met in person which was kind of funny um and we were chatting back and forth and because I had the like OT experience she would send me all of her clients that were like just a little bit trickier and she couldn't just there was like something else going on because I also have experience with sensory processing so like those babies that are you know up every hour even when they're like 11 months old or they're nursing for hours and hours and hours like as toddlers like there's something else going on so she would send those clients to me and I would help those clients. And when she started her certification, I was like, okay, I'm going to join the certification and I'm going to start helping with sleep too. So that was two years ago. And since then, I am now certified. It's called the Baby Led Sleep and Wellbeing Approach. So I'm certified in that. It's attachment focused. And I've also become certified in infant reflux because this is a whole other area where parents are struggling and you're dying and your child is in discomfort and your doctor's like oh they'll just grow it out grow out of it it's okay it's like, colic it's, it's colic yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's colic, colic which is also like uh, <laughs> I don't actually know what it is I'm gonna call it colic <laughs> always always it's that always blame it on it's just because they're colicky yep colicky and I had the same both both babies so either they say it's colicky they'll grow out of it or they're like oh here's some medication that your child's just gonna be on until they grow out of it. And you're like, that's like 12 months on medication. Like, that's not okay. But we say, as parents, we trust the doctor. And the doctor tells us and we're like, okay, that doesn't like feel right. But I guess there's no other choice. So I'm gonna do that. Well, I'm here to change that. <laughs> Sorry, that was a very no, I like it. I love I love I, I love going against anything that the medical system tells us because a lot of the times and, and the same thing happened. My doctor would always say that anytime I would take the baby in, this is normal. Yeah, but we don't feel normal right now. Like we need to find normal again. Yeah. And this is the thing is that unfortunately, I feel like our society and this is like a Western culture kind of thing. We're so focused on independence and, you know, being successful and work, 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 and go, 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 that we've really lost sight, I feel like, of trusting our instincts and following those instincts because we're, we feel like we're doing it wrong because our baby isn't sleeping through the night at eight weeks old or because our baby is crying 24 hours a day and we don't know why and the doctor doesn't know why. Like, we don't listen to our instincts. And I think this is something that unfortunately doctors are at blame for, but also healthcare professionals who just, you know, are not taking you seriously. They're not taking your concerns seriously, maybe because they don't actually know and they don't want to admit that they don't know. Like, I don't know why, but this is a problem. And then we also have all this like outdated research, for example, in the sleep world that is done by old white men who never had to take care of children. <laughs> so, like that's also not okay because they didn't have any instincts to follow with their children because they didn't have to do that. Getting that's off my soapbox now. <laughs> no, you know what? That's that. That is frustrating, and that would it would be the same when I would go to some of my doctors that I would see, and they were men, primarily. I'm lucky now; I have a female doctor, but primarily, and some of them didn't even have children, or they were doctors that worked seventy hours a week. So were they even really there? 
while their wives were parenting the children. Right. I, I'm, I guarantee you they weren't getting up at one o'clock in the morning to rock a baby back to sleep. No. So it was very frustrating to have that mentality of, oh, just suck it up. You know, it's only a year and you'll be back to sleep in no time kind of thing because they didn't get it. Mm-hmm. So you yeah, wanted I, someone that got it. Exactly. And I think, so there's obviously the medical community, they're doing great things when you have something really serious going on with you. And you need that diagnosis and you need somebody to look at your symptoms and be like, oh, you have like this disease or this whatever. And here's some medication to help that. Fine. There's a time and place for that. Sometimes I think that's overprescribed too. But the thing is, and this is what I tell all of the moms that I work with, is that we have been trained to be like, oh, the doctor says, oh, the doctor says, oh, yep, that must be the only answer. That's the only thing I have to listen to the doctor. And the truth is that they don't actually get taught these things in medical school. We just assume they do. They don't get taught about infant sleep. They don't get taught about infant development. They don't get taught about nutrition. They don't get taught about so many things. They get taught to look at the symptoms, decipher what those symptoms mean, and also about pathology. So like they get taught about like diseases and do those symptoms fit with this disease that I learned about? And here's the medication to help. So it's very like, I don't know, it's, it, it, it drives me crazy. Well, it's, it's almost like as a young mother, it's not that we were lied to, but we were under the, the assumption that the person we were asking really legitimately knows the answers. Uh Whereas they're just going by what they heard so-and-so did last year when they, you know, like it's, it's not, it's not scientific proof. It's not tried and true. They're just spewing out what they think they're supposed to say to you. Let's, let's dive in a little deeper. Let's talk sleep first. So we're going to talk about sleep. We're going to talk about development and we're going to talk about reflux. I tell you sleep. I I work with my clients on sleep a lot because without sleep, we are walking zombies and we are mental nightmares. Uh And I'll tell a story. My children didn't sleep more than an hour until each of them turned a year. They were the worst sleepers ever. And then they slept through the night. They went to, you know, slept 12 hour nights and now they're teenagers and they always sleep. Right. (laughs) But I remember having three times I had a full blown panic attack in the middle of the night. And I was like you, I hated my baby in the middle of the night. I was like, I'm never going to sleep again. This is ridiculous. Tell me what you need. And I remember my one panic attack that I had, I couldn't catch my breath. I was in a sweat. It was like a real panic attack because I literally did not think I was ever going to sleep again Mm -hmm. properly. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying to a doctor in other countries, sleep deprivation is a form of torture. Mm -hmm. Yet we tell women to just suck it up and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. We are also responsible to keep those babies alive during the day sleep deprived. Uh uh And I also remember being so sleep deprived when I was driving to go to work. I looked in the backseat of my car to the car seat and I saw an empty car seat. And I was so tired that I thought that I left my baby on the front porch of the house. Oh my gosh. Had a full blown panic attack, spun the car around, was driving back to my house only to recall that I forgot that I had already dropped him off at the daycare. Oh, jeez, Yeah. But that's what sleep deprivation does to you. Mm-hmm. And I'm operating a motor vehicle and also yeah. responsible for a toddler and other things happening in my mm-hmm. life. Let's talk about sleep because everybody wanted me to do the sleep training. And yeah. my kids had the perfectly round heads because they barely ever got put down, much less forget letting them cry it out. That Uh was not going to, I don't, I didn't even try it. I think I let them cry for five minutes and I was like, nope, not going to happen. What is sleep training? So it's so interesting because I mean, there's so many definitions to sleep training, right? So in my view, and people have different views, but in my view, what sleep training is, is that you are using separation based and or behavioral based techniques to get your baby to sleep for longer periods. And the thing is, often it is that cry it out or the extinction method. Sometimes that also is Ferber. I'm sure people are familiar with that, but that is more of like the timed checks. There's a whole other, like so many other sort of techniques where it's like you can respond to the baby, but you can't look at them. 
You're not allowed to pick them up from the crib when they're crying. You can just put your hand on them and pat them, but that's it. You can't talk to them. You can't look at them. Like there's just so many things where all of those things, some of them are considered gentle sleep training. Some of them are considered full-blown sleep training. But in the end, all of those examples that I just gave are going against your maternal instincts. And those are all either separation-based or they're like a form of behavioral uh, techniques. And you're trying to change the behavior. You're trying to, you know, teach your baby to sleep. You're trying to teach your baby to be independent. You're trying to teach your baby not to need you. And realistically, your baby does not actually have the brain power to understand that. (laughs) Their brains do not work like that. (laughs) They're not master manipulators at that age. (laughs) I mean, but truthfully, babies are born with about 25 to 29% of their brain formed. Why? Because otherwise they would never fit through the the birth canal. Okay? Their heads would be gigantic and that would not work. So they're born with 25 to 29% of their brain formed. And in that first year, an exponential amount of brain development happens. I think by the end of the first year, it's like 75 to 80% of their brain capacity has formed. And then within that first like three years, uh, the rest of it forms. So if you think about that in and of itself, you can now see how a three-month-old does not have the brain capacity to like actually think through like, oh, it's okay. I know that my mom is in the next room or I know that my mom's just standing outside of the door. I'm still okay. I'm safe. It's all good. They, they don't think like that. They can't. They actually physically cannot <laughs> compute <laughs> that everything is okay. All they know is that I'm alone. I'm cold. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm whatever. I don't know where this person is that's taking care of me. I may or may not know that they're my mom. <laughs> like, right? Because at this point, like they're still so little. They just know that you, it's the safe person. This person who you know, you know their smell, you know their voice, you know, you know what they, their heartbeat, all of those things. That's how babies regulate is through us initially. So when you take us away, they have no way to regulate themselves. So this whole like, teach your baby to fall asleep, teach your baby to self-soothe. It's nonsense, actually, (laughs) like not physically possible. The other thing is that you can't actually teach sleep. Sleep is a biological thing that happens when two sort of factors come together. Sleep pressure or sleep drive, it's called homeostatic sleep pressure. And that's like you've been awake long enough and your body is like, okay, I'm tired, I'm ready to sleep. I need to kind of shut down and regenerate or like re-energize. And then there's the circadian rhythm. And that is really governed by day or like light and dark. And our circadian rhythm, one of them is the sleep-wake cycle. There's like a whole bunch of other rhythms also. But when those two kind of come together in this nice little balance, that is how we sleep. And that's also not something that you can teach because it's a biological factor. And babies do not have a circadian rhythm until they are about 12 to 16 weeks old. So when you're trying to teach your baby, at eight weeks or 10 weeks or 12 weeks or whatever, how to sleep, it is not actually possible. You're like, it's nighttime. It's dark out. Like, (laughs) what are we doing here at two in the morning? (laughs) So that's how I define sleep training. And so I, what I do is my approach is really looking at what is normal sleep for babies, because that's something that is not talked about enough. Babies wake up. They're meant to wake up. They have teeny tiny bellies. They need to wake up. They need us to regulate because of that like brain that is not fully formed. They need us for survival, right? So my approach is very much developmentally driven. So like what is normal for each age? And then also attachment focused and, you know, really building that bonding and that connection with your baby day and night. We would never ever in our dreams think, oh, my baby's crying during the day. I'm just not going to respond because I need to teach them how to be independent and how to work that out by themselves. (laughs) But at night, (laughs) we're like, nope, I'm not responding. They have to learn (laughs) just because it's dark out and we want to sleep. And I get it. Sleep deprivation is really, really hard. And we all need sleep to be safe. Of course, there are ways to get more sleep to support our babies to sleep for longer periods and to get more sleep ourselves 
in a way that is still respectful, that is still responsive, and that is actually looking at supporting their development rather than, in my opinion, hindering it. Well, and that's what I learned quite quickly is that it, this was something that was supposed to happen. And I don't, I didn't read a book. I bought all of the Ferber books. I bought, I didn't even crack them. They, oh. I mean, they didn't even get open because I just didn't, I didn't, it, it was that instinct. I started to learn though, that, you know what, I got to sleep when they're sleeping and then this isn't going to be so painful. And mm -hmm. it's not going to be that long where I'm having, you know, to go to bed at seven o'clock because I put the baby down at seven. But I really did when my toddler was napping and the baby was napping, I started to sleep. I started to say, this is when I'm going to buy my hour time that I know I can sleep so that at one in the morning when, you know, my little baby boy wants to soothe on a breast, even though he's not hungry, he just wants my company. Mm -hmm. I'm not so angry about it and I'm not so overtired about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. The other thing too, is that you don't have to feel like you have to like uh, deal with these things or put up with these things just because you have a baby. If something, and I tell the mamas that I work with all the time, if something is not working for you or your baby anymore, stop doing it and it's time to change it. And that's okay that you want to change that. So for example, if, if it's not cool that your child is just sucking on the boob all night long and you're like, I just want you to stop for like two hours, please. <laughs> I can't take this anymore. That's, and you're getting mad and frustrated and, you know, starting to hate your baby like I did, then it's time to change things. And you can change things in a way that is still being respectful, that is still supporting their emotional development as well. I also tell parents, if something is working for you, there's no reason to change it. So for example, if nursing to sleep is working for you, don't change it. You're not creating any bad habits. If bed sharing is working for you, don't change it. Just make sure it's safe, right? Like make sure that you've set it up safely. If you want to nurse every time your baby wakes up in the middle of the night and that is working for you because it's the easiest way to get them to sleep and you're like, I just need my sleep, keep doing it. It's totally fine. There is no reason to change it unless it's not working. And if it's not working, then we can change it. And we can change that in a way that is gradual and that is respectful. You don't have to just leave your baby to cry. You don't have to go against your maternal instincts. You don't have to do all of these things that you hear sleep trainers and doctors and whoever else tell you is the only way. You don't have to do any of that if you don't want to. That's the best statement I've ever heard. I wish I had, because I had all the judgers, all the Judy judgers, including my own family, who would, I was a nurse on demand. My kids ate constantly, both of them. And it was always, that's not good. That's not, you know, well, they're not going to be 16 years old doing this anymore. <laughs> so or I'd, true. Right. <laughs> and I went from nursing. Both of my children did not have the ability to fall asleep on their own. They were nursed to sleep when they were done with nursing. They were rocked to sleep when they were done with that. They were danced to sleep. <laughs> and even my daughter as a toddler, I would sing the alphabet and I think I would get to like 20 times around and either both of us would be falling asleep on in the bed, but eventually she put herself to sleep. I didn't have any help. I didn't have anybody, you know, any, I didn't read any books. Mm -hmm. I just kind of, that worked for me. And I knew if I sang the alphabet 20 times, I could go on with my day and do other stuff. So I kept doing it. Mm -hmm. But with lots of judgments, <laughs> which is which is the unfortunate part, right, is it's those judgments that cause us overwhelm and those judgments that cause us to choose choices that we would not otherwise choose because we feel pressured. It's just that needs to stop. Well, and let's talk about reflux next, because mm -hmm. I, I mean, I had the non sleeping babies and I also had what was colicky. It was mm -hmm. always and I, I was always, oh, it's the colic. It's the colic. Let's talk about this word colic. Yeah, sure. It's a tough word to talk about because there's actually not a uh, true sort of like diagnose. It's not a, a real diagnosis. Like literally colic is the like, your baby's crying a lot and we don't know what's causing it. <laughs> However, that being said, there is always a cause. So like when your doctor says we don't know what's causing it, it's just because they don't know what's causing it. Mm -hmm. They're not willing to find out what's causing it. But most often, Colic is as a result of increased air in their belly. A lot of times pe people or parents with, with colicky babies 
when your baby has that big burp or they have the like gas that you finally get out, like the big fart or whatnot, um, then they often stop and they have that look of like calm, like, oh, I needed to get that out. And there's a reason why the air is getting in. So a lot of times that could be because of a poor latch. So every time baby eats, air comes in along with the milk or the formula. It could be also because if they are, for example, like a more highly sensitive baby or a high needs baby, or they've got sensory processing things and they're just getting overstimulated and they're crying, we take in air, the more we cry. So then you add that to the mix. Then you add in an overtired baby who is also crying because they're overtired and nobody's putting them to sleep because we just haven't, we're following some weird schedule instead of following our baby. So you have all these different components. The other thing too, often colic and reflux often do go hand in hand, not always, but often it's very similar causes. Another thing that can cause air in the belly is actually if there's like food intolerances or allergies or somehow the food is not getting properly digested and that's more with the reflux but if the food is not properly getting digested so for example a mom is eating something breastfeeding her baby whatever was in the breast milk baby is not able to digest that properly it can actually start to ferment in their belly and the fermentation causes excess gas. So there's all these different causes and it's really finding what are the symptoms telling me? Are the symptoms telling me that this baby has a poor latch? Does this baby have a tongue tie that's causing the poor latch? Which is actually very common these days. Why is this baby crying? Let's figure that out. Babies don't cry just for the sake of crying. They're crying because something is going on and we need to put our detective hat on and figure out what that is. And so there's so many different things, right? Like it could even be baby was squished in your womb in a weird position and their body is tight and they're uncomfortable. Think about yourself. When you have a kink in your neck or there's like this weird rib pain going on or you've got this pain in your back because you sat wrong or you slept wrong or whatever, you are a lot more irritable mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're short fused and you're just not as lovely of a person as you normally are. <laughs> so it's the same thing with our babies, but our babies only have one way of communicating, through crying. They can't tell us, mommy, my neck hurts. Mommy, I have this like weird tightness thing where like my, my you know, whatever is feeling weird. <laughs> but just like us, so body work is a really, important thing that I always tell all of my moms to go for themselves but also for baby because birth in and of itself I mean think about it your body is pushing this baby out first of all this baby has been scrunched up in the womb probably some weird way their head then has to hit the pelvic bones to like start dilating the cervix and then eventually they get squished through this teeny tiny little canal <laughs> twisted and turned and you know whatever <laughs> their body just went through quite a bit of trauma and even if you had the most lovely natural pain-free birth <laughs> right we forget Baby's that though body. we forget that because we're thinking about the trauma that we just endured yes. as mothers like we're like oh holy smokes that was an 11 pound baby right yeah we don't think of what that 11 pound baby mm -hmm. felt going yeah. through that canal and and again, all the trauma and the pulling and the forcing and not ready yet or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And if you've got any interventions that happened, that adds an extra layer of trauma on, you know, whether it was like vacuum, forceps, even like induction with Pitocin because your contractions are stronger. There's so many layers. And so body work can do wonders with relieving both colic and reflux because if your body is tight, you probably don't have a very good latch. You're uncomfortable during feeding, so you're doing all sorts of weird compensatory movements. But if your cranial bones are actually not aligned properly because they got all you know twisted or, or overlapped or whatnot while you're coming and they didn't actually like go back into place after birth, that can affect lots of different things going on with the mouth. So there's a lot. <laughs> and so colic and reflux, there's always a reason. It's a symptom of something. 
and we have to find the symptom. And this is where the medical community really lets us down. And it's not just with colic and reflux. It's even things like eczema. Like, hello, eczema is not normal. This is another thing that drives me crazy. Parents are like, oh, my child has eczema, but like all babies have eczema. And you're like, that's not, it's not supposed to be like that. <laughs> well, it and it, they're, they're uncomfortable. Yes. They're uncomfortable, right? And that's where it's like, okay, because mine would get around their face. And mm-hmm. we found out food allergies. They have mm-hmm. food allergies. Mom's milk has that food in it. But the yeah. doctors, same thing. It's normal. Babies, you know, get mm-hmm. these skin rashes, eczema, different. Yeah. Like, it's not actually normal. I thought it was normal with my first two. My poor child, my firstborn, he really just got the shitty end of the stick because I did not know anything. And he suffered for like three years because I was just like trying to figure things out on my own. With my daughter, I was like, oh, She has that same really severe diaper rash that my son had on and off. She also has these eczema things like he did that would show up randomly. And I was like, I wonder if the two are connected. And it turns out that both my kids had an egg intolerance, not an allergy. We did get it tested. Mm -hmm. And literally because, hey, as a new mom, I was like, eggs, high protein, easiest food to make. It's quick and I can eat it without making a mess. (laughs) Yeah. Eggs, eggs were my kids too. And I mean, egg whites were a staple of my diet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was just pushing those egg whites down, down their poor little throats. And that was what yeah. was causing it. Yeah. And it's just baffling to me that the doctors are like, not on board with this. I stopped well, eating eggs and lo and behold, the diaper rash went away and the eczema went away. <laughs> But that, you know what, that word normal gets tossed around in, in all respects. But as a mom, you're always hearing normal, normal, normal. That's not normal. That is normal. Mm-hmm. I hate that word. I hate mm-hmm. it because it makes you feel less than when you're either in normal and you're feeling like this doesn't feel so normal, mm-hmm. like help me, or when you're not. And that's where we come to development. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which was a whole nother bag of worms <laughs> in terms of feeling like the t- most terrible mother in the world. Yeah. I had the really fat babies. I had the really chubby babies. My daughter didn't walk until she was 17 months old. Which is actually <laughs> within the typical average ranges. Well, but, and I would joke because she was this little chunk, little chunk. She, I mean, she nursed constantly. So of course she was a little chunk <laughs> and she rolled. She didn't even crawl. She just rolled like the big thing. And everyone wanted to judge me because their baby walked Mm -hmm. at nine months or their baby walked at a year. Even my son, who was a little tub as well, he had a four-year-old sister available. He wasn't walking anywhere. All he had to do was point and she would go get it for him. (laughs) So it wasn't even a development thing. It was the I know how this system works and I can just sit here and this little girl with pigtails is going to bring me everything. Mm -hmm. But everyone wants to judge you for not being in the normal range. Well, one of the biggest problems is that we don't, I mean, not we, but like in general, like moms in general, doctors, there's no education on what is actually typical development. So we have these preconceived ideas from what the Facebook groups that you're in or those like mommy groups that you go to and you're comparing your five month old to the other five month old. But when I, I'm going to tell you the like average ranges for different uh, development. When I tell them to you, you're probably going to be like, what? (laughs) And this is a problem because when you don't know what's normal, it's so much easier to get overwhelmed, to compare and then to feel guilty. Right. But when you know what is like normal or typical or the average range, and the reason they give ranges is because all babies are different. If you have a baby with a big head or a chubby baby, they're going to have a lot more weight to contend with (laughs) than a teeny tiny baby. And so they probably will be on the later end of typical. Mm -hmm. This is why they have ranges, right? And so for rolling, the average range is four to six months. Now, That being said, I always share this example because both of my children didn't roll until they were closer to seven months. And I was the mom that had all of the development experience. So I was practicing rolling with them every single day. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things where like, you can't actually teach your baby how to do these things. You can encourage them. You can 
teach them the movement so that they can feel it, but they are ultimately going to decide when they do it on their own. You can't force mm -hmm. that, right? And then, you know, so rolling is four to six months. Sitting unsupported is another one that I'm like, oh, I hate this one. Because mm -hmm. this is the one that often parents get wrong, but also, and I don't mean that in a like, uh, oh, you don't know what you're doing kind of way, but mo most often this is the one where parents are like super stressed because their child is not sitting, but the other child is. Mm -hmm. And so you're propping them up and you're putting pillows and you're doing all these weird things to try to like help your baby sit, right? And independent sitting doesn't happen until about seven to nine months. Most people think it happens at five to six months and that's mm -hmm. not the case. In order to be upright in a vertical position, you need a few things to happen. You need your spinal curves to have developed into that nice S shape that we have as adults from that C shape that babies have because that C shape ain't holding anything up. <laughs> you also need your trunk muscles, core muscles to be strong enough to keep you up. Otherwise you're going to fall over if you don't have those muscles. The way that you strengthen those muscles is actually through floor play and lots of opportunity to move in an unrestricted way. That does not mean sitting your baby up and propping them in a bumbo. That does not help development. That does not help them learn how to use their muscles. And so this is one of the things where you're like, oh my God, my, and I did this. I did this with my first. I would go to the baby classes and that five and a half month old would be sitting and my child was like nowhere close to sitting at that age. He wasn't even rolling, so, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself like, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with my baby. Is he behind? What's going on? I mean, I was texting my old like pediatric <laughs> physical therapy colleagues like all day being like, wait, is this normal? Is this weird? Is this okay? Crawling is another one. Crawling happens around the same time, like seven to 10-ish months. It depends, right? It depends on so many factors. Um, and there's crawling mini milestones. And so people think of crawling as like hands and knees crawling, but there's all these other little mini milestones that you see ahead of time, you know, like the 360 that they do in the circle where they're just moving themselves around in the circle or they like push themselves backwards. My son, I always joke that he did this like little army crawl and like one leg would like push and the other leg would just like drag <laughs> along behind. And again, I didn't realize that was normal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was texting all my <laughs> PT friends being like, okay, this is what's going on. Let me take a video. Let me send it to you. Like, what is what? <laughs> and they were like, don't worry. It's all good. Um, and then walking is another one. Often, if your child gets to like 12 months and you're like, oh my God, they're not walking yet. It's like this whole big thing. Actually, the normal range is 12 to 18 months or the typical average, whatever you want to work, whatever word you want to use. But 12 to 18 months. My son walked at 14 months. My daughter walked at almost 18 months. And when she finally walked, it was more of like, she was really confident. Like she was like, I'm, I'm ready to go. Whereas my son did the whole like waddle, I'm going to fall, I'm going to, you know. Mm -hmm. But this, I use these examples because A, there's a range for normal or typical or whatever. So know that as long as your child is showing an increase in skills and you're seeing this like progression where you're like oh that's something new i haven't seen that that's a good sign that means your child is developing okay so stop comparing to all the other people the other thing is that we're all different i had two children with the same husband <laughs> and they both developed very differently and i was working on development so i just put it out there because i want moms to really feel like this doesn't need to be stressful. We make it stressful for ourselves. But when we can find credible sources to learn from and to realize what is actually average, typical, what to look for. And yeah, you know, maybe knowing red flags is a good thing to have in the back of your mind where you're like, okay, like they're 20 months and they're still not walking, then something might be going on. But that's what helps us to follow our instincts and to really reduce some of that overwhelm and to not compare and to not get so caught up in the like, oh, well, that baby's doing that and mine isn't doing that. And like, is there something wrong? Should my baby be doing that? They're not clapping. They're not, you know, whatever. Even with clapping, it's such a weird milestone. Like we don't go around the day going like this. This is not a functional thing. 
So yeah. what difference does it make if your child claps at five months or seven months or like 12 months? It doesn't really matter. Even speaking, I mean, formulating sentences, I, my best friend at the time, I mean, my, my daughter didn't walk until again, 18 months, 17, 18 months, but she could form sentences and have a conversation before any other babies around her. And of course, my best friend was like, we got to get my daughter into the specialist. She's never going to speak. Something's wrong. And I'm, and the day she was supposed to drive to the specialist, her daughter started talking <laughs> almost like, listen, lady, simmer down. I'm fine. I don't need to go seeing any, any specialists. And it was the same with my, my daughter. She couldn't swallow anything that was solid, mm-hmm. anything. And like you said, having a second baby with the same person, my son was eating ribs off the bone at like six months. Like it was, so it just depends on the baby and the development. I mean, everybody always ends up finding their way, but we lose sleep over it and the stress that we cause ourselves as mothers and feeling less than. Yeah. Cause we're not normal in quotation marks mm-hmm. and our baby's not normal or perfect. Mm-hmm. And so when someone hires you, what are some of the things that you do and help with? So I definitely work with the sleep. (laughs) That seems to be like the number one thing that people sort of uh, get in touch for. Um, I do run mom and baby classes that are now virtual where we do lots of this development. So I do get lots of mamas in those classes. And then I often get uh, reflux as well, where it's like mostly that comes from, you know, something that I posted on the internet where I'm, you know, talking about how reflux always has a cause and they're like, oh, is there a cause? Like, can you help me find the cause? Like, it's like a new thing for them. Like, what do you mean there's a cause? <laughs> like, is this possible to get to, to find support and help for the reflux? So I get some with the reflux as well. Um, but usually I would say it's for sleep and or the sensory processing piece, which we didn't even get to. But um, that's like what my sort of pediatric OT specialty was for like 12 years was this idea of sensory processing and how we are, you know, like, I guess the easiest example of that would be if you had somebody that was sensitive to sensory stimuli. So like they avoided it or they were like bothered by the tags in their clothing, or they were like a high needs kind of baby, but there's a whole other end of the spectrum as well, where it's like the active child who can't calm down, can't sit still because they're just not getting enough movement. They're not processing it properly. And so you deal with all of that too. Is mm-hmm. that like, like some babies can't, don't like a lot of lights and the stimulation and, mm-hmm. and dealing with this different sensory. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know about so that. Much. I know. <laughs> as an so adult, I mean, as adults, I find I have certain things. I have certain temperatures that I thrive in. I have certain lights and, and exactly. dimming of room at lights. Yeah. Who wouldn't think that the baby would have that as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I usually say like we all, none of us has perfect sensory processing, right? Like sensory processing is really everything that we're taking in from the environment. That's we learn through our senses. It's how we deal with our world. And for the most part, we do regulate ourselves, right? We can, we, you know, it's a little bright. We put the sunglasses on or like, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever we're cold. So we put a sweater on or like this shirt is itchy. So we don't wear it and it doesn't really affect our overall functioning. However, sometimes it does. Sometimes there are babies and children and adults where this is magnified to a degree where it actually does affect them and they can't function properly. And, you know, that sound that we think is irritating, like one of the big ones is, um, you know, the, it's like the, mm, of the fluorescent lights. There's like Humming, really yeah. Like, yeah. For some people, that's like all they can focus on. And they're like, oh my God, that noise is driving me crazy. I can't sit and listen, right? And so when it's affecting your function, like you can't be in that room, (laughs) then it's time to get help for it. So just like I said at the beginning, where if it's working for you, no reason to change it. If it's not working for you, then get some help. That's the best. That's the best advice. Yeah. And so where do people find you if they are like, okay, because you do have a variety of different programs because you work one-on-one, you have the groups, where can people find you? Yeah. So my website is the easiest. It's www.kylietz.com. So K-A-I-L-I-E-T-S.com. And then I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. Kylie Wellness. 
and you can find all my programs on that. Yeah, so all of my one-to-one, as well as my mom and baby classes, I also have a variety of different online offerings. Um, and that's that's that. I'm writing a book, which is super exciting. <laughs> so that'll a, be available a, at some point. <laughs> you have a program launching April 1st? Yes, so I have my Holistic Baby Dreams Sleep Course, which is launching on April 1st. I know it's April Fool's, ha ha ha. <laughs> But um, it's launching on April 1st, and it's really a sleep course that is not like any other sleep courses that are out there because it's not only going to teach you about how to support your baby to sleep in a developmentally appropriate, attachment-focused, evidence-informed way, but it's also going to help you trust your instincts. It's going to also help you with your baby's development, feeding, reflux, all that stuff that we just talked about. It's so much more than just sleep but it will help you get more sleep. <laughs> it's all in one. It, it's, it all affects everything else in life. The, mm-hmm. All of it. It's all the full spectrum. All right. I do this ra- rock and rapid fire at the end of my okay. podcast. Yes. Okay. And I'm going to do, I do it with you first. What's your favorite movie? God. Do you even, well, how old okay, are you? I'm just going to say, that's uh, not a notebook, kid's movie. <laughs> for some reason, I, that's like the first movie that just popped into my head. The notebook. I don't know why I just said that, but it's probably not my ultimate favorite, but well, how old are your, how old are your kids now? Three and five. They're not at the movie watching stage. (laughs) Right. And that's most of the moms. When I ask them what their favorite movie is, especially if you've got the kids, like I never got to watch any movies when I had children, it was frozen. It was Shrek. It was like, I, that was it. My favorite cartoon was always like Barney or whatever was, (laughs) there was no TV for me. (laughs) It's been a long time since I went to the movies. Oh, right. Oh, soon soon we hope what's your favorite book to recommend to mamas I really love sweet sleep and this is a book that's called that's written by Laletch League International and it's a book about breastfeeding and sleeping and what's normal it is the book that made me turn my overwhelm around when I had my first it is the book that made me realize that I was trusting my mama instincts and that those mom instincts were there for a reason. Like and it this. just, it really solidified and like made me have that like, ah, kind of feeling. Oh, that's awesome. Sweet sleep. I like that. How many hours of sleep do you get a night now? Now I get like, well, on a good night, I get nine hours, which is amazing. <laughs> um, however, I would like to just say that even with a three and a five-year-old who sleep through the night, we always have at least one child who is waking up for some kind of reason. Sometimes we do get the whole night of no, of, of sleeping through, but either it's growing pains or they're too hot or they drank all the water in their water bottle and they need more or, 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 right? So it doesn't really end <laughs> until they can do those things on their own, but I would never dream of not helping them. Mm-hmm. And so they're three and five right? So bring that back to baby phase. Why in the world would you dream of not helping your baby who is way more dependent, way more vulnerable than a three and five year old? Mm -hmm. Even teenagers, I find uh, they'll get me up in the middle of the night for certain things. And I'm like, really, is this not something you could have dealt with on your own? (laughs) But I end up thinking it's all right to be needed because at some point they won't want to ask their uncool mom anymore. So (laughs) exactly. what's your favorite way to stress release? Oh, I love essential oils. (laughs) Um, And actually just like sitting with my diffuser and a glass of wine and a book. That That was my next one. That was my next one. You finally get a mom timeout. What is your perfect day for your mom timeout? Well, perfect day. I wouldn't be sitting and drinking wine all day. However, my perfect day would be napping when I want to nap. Uh, (laughs) Uninterrupted. (laughs) Uninterrupted. I would probably do quite a bit of reading, probably with a glass of wine, um, a massage. A spa day would be really nice. <laughs> the simple things. Maybe yeah. get to go to a movie. <laughs> yeah, I know, except for there's no movies right now. <laughs> no. That's awesome. One day, maybe. That, that will be a weird day when they open again. It'll feel, you know what, hopefully we all go and support and just try to get back mm-hmm. to that feeling because it is so, I used to love taking my kids to the movies. It was mm-hmm. such an adventure and it's, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to some amusement park. It's just the movies, but to them, it's, it's so special. Yeah. Massive screen, right? Mm-hmm. 
last piece of advice, biggest piece of advice you would give to new moms or soon to be new mamas? Uh, what's your, your drop the mic last piece of advice? I mean, we've talked about it already. You need to trust your instincts, trust yourself, trust your baby and do what feels right in your heart. Cause really when you do that, it will not steer you wrong. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on here. I feel like this could have been 10 episodes. We could have done one just on sleep, one just on relax. I'll have you back. I'll have you back for sure as my mama, resident mama expert for those little, little babies. It makes me want a baby again, talking to you, but then it also makes me go, you sleep eight hours uninterrupted now, Lori, what are you talking about? It's true. I I have to say, I do want another, another baby, but my husband's like, no freaking way. (laughs) I, I say it. And then I'll get like my taste of holding somebody's baby. And I got to take care of a friend's baby once. And I'm like, I am too old and too routine now to deal with this. Like I like what I like now, Yeah. but reminiscing, it does have me remembering that, you know what, it's just, a, it's a small phase. It's a small mm-hmm. stage. And if we can make it as manageable as possible, we're going to get through it. They're going to start to grow up. They're going to mm-hmm. be annoying teenagers soon enough. And it, it's one of those things where if we can get rid of that, f- having to feel normal or is our mm-hmm. baby normal. And mm-hmm. just like you said, follow your instincts mm-hmm. and have it be as, as, as what works for you mm-hmm. as possible. Cause what okay. works for me is different than what works for you. Totally. And I loved that piece of advice that you gave where if it's working, mm-hmm. keep doing if it. it's not though, let's, let's find more gentler ways of changing it. Totally. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening, friends. If you want more tips and tricks on rocking your life and rocking your body, be sure to check out my website, lorimork.com, or follow me on Instagram at lori.mork. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast where each and every week we're going to release new episodes with down and dirty topics, some wicked guests, more badassery, and just have a kick-ass time together. And if anyone has a problem with it, they can kiss my curvy assets.